OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to Supporters Fund Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Potvin. Let's please welcome Joe Jackman, the GP at Catapult Capital Partners and author to the recent launch of the Reinventionist Mindset as our investor today. Welcome, Joe. It's a real pleasure to have you today. Jeffrey, thanks for having me on. It's it's a treat. I'm excited to uh, uh, have this conversation with you. Likewise, likewise. I've been, I, I think, over the transition of, say, the last 20 years, because I think I met you in your perennial days. I didn't think I did meet you in your perennial days uh, because we were working with you guys uh, around the e-commerce reinvention, if you will, at the time. And we started to work with perennial uh, and Allison was our uh, key point person back in the day. And from that, there was the integration and then you moved into Loblaw. So without me stealing your thunder, the way we like to start is we want to learn a bit more about you. So maybe you can share a little bit more about your background from the perennial days school, all those great things up into what you're doing today and including the book, because the book is phenomenal, I must say. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Okay, great. Well, maybe I'll, I'll try my best to string those things together. Uh, so I was trained in industrial design and, uh, and I had finished uh, design school. I moved back to uh, Toronto and uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I used to play music, um, you know, hack around on guitars, a very musical family. Uh, but all my older sisters and brother were, were generally a lot better than me. And and uh, I could I could do OK on um, on the guitar. But uh, so I, I set up an office in my sister's law office. This was me and a couple of partners uh, when we had finished school. And uh, and I had been playing uh, with my sister and she was actually a professional singer at the time. And uh, one day I'm walking down Queen Street West in Toronto, if you're familiar with it. And there's the Horseshoe Tavern, which is just a legendary place. And, you know, some of the some of the best bands I've ever seen live I, I saw there. And there's this poster in the window and, and it says, um, you know, musical review, a bunch of names, including my sisters, uh, Margie Jackman. And then below it, it says, uh, accompanied by uh, uh, Joe Jackman. And that was the first I had heard of it. <laughs> so I, I phoned my sister and said, like, wait, I'm performing with you at the, at the Horseshoe Tavern. And she says, oh yeah, sorry, I meant to call you the guitar player that I had lined up, you know, can't make it. So I, I just put you in. Okay, well, thanks for letting me know that. So very, very few people know that story. But uh, anyway, that gives you the trail from uh, design school. I went to uh, to Fanshawe College in London, Ontario. I took industrial design, um, started a practice with a couple of college mates, and uh, and then just never looked back. Ended up uh, building a couple of different consultancies, and uh, and then eventually doing some work with Loblaw, and then joining Loblaw as uh, executive vice president of marketing for about two and a half years, and and uh, leading the, the charge there, which was a great experience. But uh, yeah, that's sort of the trail to, to hear. I can tell you more, but maybe back to you. Uh. Oh, it's brilliant. I love it. And that's a great story. I, I guess that's a good way to fall into your music career or at yeah. least uh, setting the stage for one. So going back to your, your perennial days, 
maybe you can share a little bit about what got you started in this, because what I love about your background is that right now you're sitting in, I'll call it the trifecta experience. You entrepreneur, work for big business, and now you're investing in startups. The perfect trifecta, uh, at least in I, my world. I agree with you. I think it is. It's, it's, a, it's a great uh, intersection because you, you have the benefit of a number of different uh, perspectives. So. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think when you're giving back, that makes a big difference. But just to get started on the perennial side, what kind of brought you into that? Obviously, you're a creative person. So that kind of lured you into that side. But you went in with partners and you started to build this company. Was yeah. there something that kind of tripped you into this or got you excited? And you're like, you know, we can fix this problem. Well, it was interesting. I I was, um, you know, I was freelancing. I built a small practice with some uh, schoolmates, as I mentioned. We were um, doing pretty well, but it was pretty scrappy. I mean, it was, you know, right out of college, very challenging to uh, get enough uh, revenue to support the three of us at the time. So anyway, we all agreed, let's go, you know, get some work experience somewhere else and then we'll regroup at some other point. And uh, so I did that. I went to work for uh, the Watt Group, Don Watt and Associates. And uh, and I learned so much from, uh, from Don and uh, his wife and partner, Patty, and so many of the people at the Walker. And what I saw was a picture of how do you professionalize uh, creative consultancy? How do you, how do you connect, you know, what I learned how to do in design school and, and then subsequently practicing, but to connect it to business and business outcomes. And that's what Don, I think really was a pioneer, uh, not only in Canada, but around the world. And so I, I worked for Don for about two and a half years. And, uh, and then I went and worked for another company called Boulevard, which was all ex uh, Watt group people. And, uh, and at some point I thought, you know, I really want to do this myself. And so I started, you know, back with my pals and uh, we, we reconstituted the company. Um, and uh, we, we ended up uh, bringing in some other partners. And for about 16 years, we consulted with retailers, CPG companies, right across North America, built um, what was then uh, one of the largest uh, brand consultancies in the country. And, um, and I absolutely loved it until uh, one of my uh, you know, biggest relationships, uh, Loblaw Companies, I, my company had replaced the Watt Group when, when that relationship um, changed. And so we became the, the go-to brand store design, pack design, et cetera, uh, partner to Loblaw. And eventually, um, you know, the president at the time, John Letter, reached out and he said, what would you think about doing what you do and maybe some other things, but do it from inside the company, not um, as, a, as an external partner? And so that was the, you know, beginning of two and a half years of uh, retail exec boot camp, <laughs> as I call it. Uh, working for a giant publicly traded company running marketing. And I knew half of what I was setting out to do, but the other half was like a steep learning curve. Uh, but it was amazing. It's a great experience. I remember it like it was yesterday because I, I remember when this whole merger acquisition piece happened because we were working with you guys uh, through our branding for uh, all the online e-commerce platforms. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there was the big change where you you moved into Loblaws. And I would say that, you know, you say there's a big steep learning curve, but how much of being able to jump in at that position in time as an entrepreneur, you know, I think when most times companies get their uh, businesses are purchased, 
they end up working for a company, the big company that bought them and they work maybe one, two years. And they're always disgruntled. They're like, this is terrible. I hate working for big business. And they all want out and they leave early and all this stuff. It usually never turns out to be the successful uh, merger of small and big business. But you came in and I think you really changed the way people looked at marketing, or at least from my perspective and the teams that we had, because you did bring such a different, vast, creative level that box store didn't see or didn't utilize at the time. And having you kind of jump into this position, it didn't seem like you were like, ah, I'm out of here, this is terrible. It seemed like it was a great learning, but a great drive for the business. There was so much innovation that came out of you moving into there. How much can you say that you loved it or you didn't love it, but what is yeah. that mix and what well, did it feel I, like doing all that? Yeah, I appreciate the comment. Um, look, there's no way that, uh, you know, being trained as an industrial designer and then becoming, you know, a, a creative director and eventually a brand strategist in my own company and, and getting the opportunity to work with all these amazing brands and amazing companies like Lava, um, but not being a professional marketer. And, and while I was, you know, schooled in marketing in my practice and learned so much from so many amazing marketers, you know, here I was uh, effectively the, the first CMO, chief marketing officer of Lala companies with a, with a, a role at the highest uh, level of the management team. But I couldn't help but be a disruptor just simply because uh, I came at it from such a different angle. And so the status quo was not familiar to me. Like it was in some ways, but I was really hardwired to look at what's possible and what has to happen now for us to maintain the incredible lead that, you know, leaders before me and that, you know, my colleagues have built. Um, and I think about it now from a, you know, from a founder investor point of view that the advantage to the disruptor is, it'll sound funny, naivety to some degree. You don't know what you don't know. So therefore you're not beholden to it. And you're certainly not beholden to the past. And so I, that was my whole mindset going in. And the, look, I wouldn't have been able to do it were it not for the fact that I knew the company, consulting to it and all its brands and all its store formats and et cetera. And I knew the people that brought me in. And so they gave me a lot of support and cover and were patient with me to figure out the stuff I didn't know. But but the whole mindset was a, was a change agenda. You know, we need to get back to disrupting. We need to do bigger, bolder things. You know, on my, my watch with, you know, all my colleagues, John Letter and the whole leadership team, we stood up Joe Fresh with Joe Mimran, launched that. We retooled President's Choice, repositioned it. That's when uh, Galen Weston, uh, uh, the younger Galen, went on television with the campaign that I think still lives today. Uh, we did some pretty crazy stuff. We, you know, so so it was fun. What I didn't love, though, to to answer the second part of your question is, you know, I, I wasn't used to being on the inside and dealing with, you know, it was publicly traded like analyst presentations and board, you know, presentations and and what I realized was about two thirds of my time was spent on stuff that I didn't think I added that much value to, and yet we're really you know part of the remit. So. Um, but I loved it. I, I could not have had better experience. And it really changed my mind. You know, it gave me an operator's perspective on, on everything all the way right through to investing today. 
And that is incredible because I remember sitting in rooms with yourself and Jim and a few of the other uh, senior level execs. And, you know, I'm a sponge. So to me, it was a great learning process that was going throughout this. And I remember when you guys were doing the reinvention of the whole uh, business. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be in that room. How do I get in that room? Now, I think that was very young of me to think. But at the same time, uh, I think that that was quite the the move that had to change an entire company from the top all the way down. And I think that that was an incredible move that Loblaws at the time had had done. And I think bringing in the people that they did, and I'm going to assume that a lot of it was relationship-based, as you mentioned, um, with uh, uh, John, JL, giving that perspective of, hey, come in here and help us change this. And that opened up, oddly enough, all the way down budgets for us to be more innovative and being able to be more on on that side. Yeah, econ exactly. that you were involved in was just coming and, you know, you were thrown right in the middle of that and did such a brilliant job. And, uh, yeah, I remember you were working with Calvin McDonald and uh, there, there was a lot of excitement around that, but so much learning. Um, and, you know, the disruption that e-com and pretty much everything digital uh, became in the years to come was just enormous. So great, you know, great learning. And, and here's the thing. Um, if you're only a consultant, I think you, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but, but you never get the true sense of what it actually takes to make shit happen. And, and that is, that is the big takeaway for me in two and a half years with, with Loblaw. Um, you know, I was truly, I was blessed to, be, to have that opportunity, but the, the, the learning was around how do you get people at all levels of an organization to not only be comfortable with change, but to embrace it and to lean into it and make it happen, regardless of what it was. It was, you know, standing up a new exciting clothing brand, or it was, you know, doing things differently as it related to a longstanding brand like President's Choice or an e-com or what have you. And, uh, you know, that alignment equals power. When you get people aligned and they're clear and they know what to do, so that's the strategy part and the business planning part. But then it's really around, you know, call it cultural chiropractic, which is just getting everybody to a good place where they say, okay, it is scary, it is ambitious, but we can do this and let's go do it. And that lesson, uh, uh, you know, I really carried over into now my investing life. I think that that lesson has carried through a lot of people's lives because I think the people that were enthralled in what was going on had this fear, big fear of change. People have been there in the company for 40 years and now they were being forced to digital this new thing. Who are these people? What are they doing? And there was a lot of change happening at the time. And I remember there was a management meeting and um, someone was on stage with a Swiffer and they were, we had to build this persona of who the shopper was. And what I loved about it, there was one line that was said, and it was that people were asking, why are we selling clothes at a grocery store? And the line was that when that shopper comes in, they want convenience. We're tailoring it to them. We want to make sure that they can get what they need to make their lives simpler, easier, and faster. And we're going to sell clothes because they're looking for a great brand of clothes at an affordable price. And that shopper, that mother is going to want to buy our product. And, you know, everybody was like, well, I don't know, half and a half. And five years later, it was a billion dollar brand, I think, in less than five years. So I think there was a lot of smarts going on in that place. And that reinvention made 
a huge, huge pivotal change for Loblaws, but I think it also changed the way people started looking at innovation, started to look at their workspace and that anything can change at any given moment. And I think when you're in a lot of the stuff that I've been listening to and, and reading on yourself, that this is kind of the percolating moment for how you came up with this whole next step of your career, which was going in and reinventing brands from going into um, Dwayne Reed. Uh, I'm going to say it was Gap, but I think it was the Gap ownership group. So there was a lot of things that you kind of built on from that. And I think that learning and what I find is that a career wise, you start working through things. And when the door opens, you jumped on it. And I think that's what's amazing about how you projected the next stages of your career is that every time a door opened, you analyzed and went in. And then today you've spent the last 10, 15 years reinventing companies. And you probably didn't start off when you first started going to school thinking, hey, I'm going to reinvent companies. This is what I want to do. But guiding you through this, you've done a, a very successful job. I think you've recreated over 40 companies. Is is that correct? Yeah, it's closer to 75 now. Um, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. You know, and, and when when I say reinvention, I, I, I really mean, you know, to to take the original invention, you know, the legacy business, and it can be, you know, medium sized or large, sometimes small, and just be creating with leadership, the next best version of it in the least amount of time, you know, is the way I've learned how to do it. Um, you know, it's not like throwing everything out again. It's, it's taking what you actually are and making it more powerful and relevant for today's circumstances. And yeah, I think we, we did the count recently and we're up over, uh, over 70 for sure, in one way or another. Um, and, and I always, Jeffrey, make a point to say, look, well, while well, we've had lots of opportunities to help leadership teams, the credit goes to the leadership teams. We're, we're enablers, we're, you know, we're transformation partners, um, but uh, it really is on them uh, for, for what happens and the value that gets created. And I've, I've been fortunate to work with some of the the most inspiring leaders, um, CEOs, executive chairmen, pri private equity partners, you know, in, in uh, transforming these companies. And uh, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot and, and it's been a hell of a fun ride. I have to say, you know, no, no shortage of uh, excitement in the world of reinvention. What I love about the reinvention spot, and this is kind of like an M&A process of going through and deciding if I buy this company, can I restructure it and make it profitable in two years versus our payback in two years versus 10. And you're going through and you're doing that analysis. But the biggest stopgap that you have all the time is the people inside the business, their discomfort for reinventing their discomfort for getting out of their fears of is this change going to reinvent and change our company or are we going to fail so how did you kind of go through that process to get people to buy in because you're not you know yes in a way you're coming in as a consultant but you're really integrating into their business you're becoming a part of their their business you're the next arm you know in a code you're a branch so you're you're really driving into this business how do you get everybody to be comfortable with this reinvention because Startups go through this every day. They have to keep pivoting. They have to keep trying to figure out who they are. And you're going in and doing this at a large scale in a billion dollar company and saying, hold on, I know you're worth a thousand people here. I'm going to help you fix and change all this. How do you get them and their mindset to change at least quick enough for you guys to start to see some uh, some improvements? So there's, there's a couple of um, important pieces in the question. Um, the first is, what's the starting point or the status quo? And then what's the mindset in a business? Like, are people feeling like we don't need to change because we're just absolutely ripping it? Um, that was the case with Dwayne Reed. 
you know, they had the highest sales per square foot of drugstores in America. And, uh, you know, 35% share in the five boroughs of New York and over 60% share in Manhattan. And so they, they were saying, hey, you guys that are coming in to change it, what's wrong with this picture? We don't need to change. We're fantastic. And yet the data told a very different story. And the competitive set rolling into New York that was going to crush Dwayne Reed, um, you know, had different ideas as well. So, so sometimes it's just simply understanding, okay, where are we at and what do we believe? And, and me and my team uh, are very used to writing. Um, it's essentially two sides of the same uh, uh, page. One side is the case for change. What, what is it that would cause us to uh, commit to some kind of evolution? It doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be you know, revolutionary. And, and, but let's get it all down on paper. Let's, let's sort of understand why. Competitive threats may be new, digital disruption, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other side of it is a case for confidence. What's the, what's the starting point? What assets do we have that are, that are still viable, still powerful? And, and then just conversations with people about where they're at and how they feel about change. I'll tell you a, a quick story. I, I, when we had uh, transformed or reinvented uh, Dwayne Reed, um, we did we did that in record time, two and a half years from you know the private equity part, partners being underwater in the investment thesis to um, almost thirteen times um, uh, exit, and the exit was to Walgreens, and Walgreens said, you know, we thought we could roll over you in New York. Uh, and suddenly you transformed and became this formidable, you know, drugstore chain we couldn't beat in the city. And so we said, right, you know, this was from the CEO at the time, Greg Wilson, you know, rather bought than fought. Uh, so they bought Dwayne Reed and they asked us, you know, how'd you do it so fast? And we all answered, well, we, you know, got super clear on the outcome we wanted. We wrote a strategy really simple towards it, got a lot of data and figured it all out, and then just put ourselves in motion and did everything rapid fire um, to innovate and transform that business. And so I got the chance to go on and help Walgreens. And uh, Walgreens, 100-plus-year-old company, successful, largest drugstore in America at the time, and not one person in 220,000 wanted to change because they said, we are who we are. Like, we've been successful for over a century. And so... One time, you know, this process of reinvention had begun. We were getting into it, doing our homework, talking with a lot of people. And a guy buttonholes me on an elevator going up to the executive offices and says, you're that Canadian guy, Joe, that's here to change things. And I said, you're right. And he said, well, we don't need any changing, thank you. And uh, we're doing just fine. Uh, you know, you know, who we are, we just bought the company you came from. So like that should tell you something. And I said, well, look, let me ask you a question. Are you invested in the company? He was a VP. And he said, yeah, of course, I've been here 25 years. And I said, so you hold stock in the company? Uh, and he said, yeah. And I said, how's your stock price? And he said, well, it's, you know, it's at a low at the moment, you know, at the time it was about 16 bucks. And, and I said, uh, you know, it might be a momentary, you know, thing, but how do you feel about the stock price, say, in the next six months or the next year, next two? Because that's your retirement equity right there. And he said, well, you know, there's some things and we're talking. And, so, and then he said, you know, you're asking a hard question because I don't see what's going to change that. And I said, that's what I'm here to help you with. 
Because by the way, I'm an investor in the business too. And I got skin in this game, just like you do, maybe not as much, but I'm not coming in to change anything that isn't going to create value and that we're not going to do together. And that's how we're going to do it. Everything is collaborative. We figure it out together and we're going to move forward as an army of a quarter million people and change this business. And it went from, you know, flat sales to plus five or six that unlocked the stock price. Um, you know, it started to climb. It went to an all time high in the sixties and that enabled the merger with Allianz Boots. So, so it, maybe that story illustrates how I think about change. You know, you collaborate, you do it together, you do it for the reasons you all agree are important. And the last thing I'll say, Jeffrey, is look, change, you know, the future isn't some far off place. Like it's, it arrives daily and you decide you're going to change with it and embrace it. And you don't know what's going to happen, but just lean into it or it's done to you. So I choose the latter. I, I want to, the former, I want to, I want to be part of the change because that way I have a chance of shaping it and, I, and I'll be happier with the outcome. I love that. And the, the piece that I'm going to pull out that really kind of stood out to me in the story that you shared is create value. I think a lot of the times startups or businesses forget that you're always having to create value and figure out what that value is that's going to benefit your consumer, your customer, your vendors, even internally, the employees, what is that benefit? What is the creative value that you're going to bring back so that things will keep moving forward? And sometimes status quo people are comfortable with, but there isn't that value that's going to come out. What is that next stage? And I think that what you said there is it benefited that one person in the elevator because everybody has their own story of what's blocking them from access, ex accepting change. And I think you did a, a great job on being able to get them to artic articulate that. But in the future, it's really about how does every business start to look at, and it's not the word innovation, it's just how does a business start looking at it all the time? How do I reinvent myself? How do I keep generating value so my customers will keep wanting to work with me or buy from me? Yes, absolutely. And you used the term trifecta before. The way I think about value creation today is, is also a trifecta. It's it's financial uh, value that, of course, needs to be uh, created for stakeholders, you know, for the founders themselves, uh, for the investment partners um, that are coming in. But with that, I would say cultural value as well as human value. And, and, and the financial value is straightforward, and, and you know it very well. You're, you're a longtime investor and very successful. Cultural value means creating something that has resonance with what's going on in the world today. And, and that's where brand enters the picture. Brand is such an important part of uh, not only accelerating value creation, financial value creation, but also amplifying what it is that makes any particular business different and special. It's really, really important. So, and that's always in the context of what's going on culturally. And the third, human value, you know, I would have probably not said that a decade ago, but I say it today because we live in, a, in a, an ESG world. We live in, in a, you know, diversity counts and, um, and equity. And creating human value today is really centered on that notion of social outcomes. And so when you think about accelerating the value of any company, you know, my advice would be, yes, of course, you need to think about how do I accelerate financial value creation, but think about two other layers of value creation that are actually enablers.
for greater financial value creation. And that's simply you know, cultural value and, and human value. Um, and that's a bit of the guide to how we look for investment. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe I can connect the dots between where we were a minute ago. So had a consultancy, did a crazy thing, went to, went to work at uh, one of my clients, Loblaw companies, uh, then you know, left Loblaw and I said, the world doesn't need another agency or another design firm, branding firm. So I created um, you know, what, what I sort of proudly said was the world's first reinvention consultancy. What I wanted to be was a great partner for companies that needed to change uh, and, and most often in a hurry. And I would be the go-to with, with a group of colleagues that would span all of the essential disciplines, you know, from management consulting and research and insights all the way through to design and, and activation support and communications and such. So that was the company I built. That was about 16 years ago. And, um, and what I realized was after working on, as we've been talking about, some of the bigger companies like Walgreens, I was probably the biggest one, uh, Fortune 75 company, but many others, Hertz and you know, household names, companies you'd know, even Canadian Tire in Canada. And, um, and I, I thought, this is all great and it's going really well. The only trouble is that I'm building a reputation as the legacy company that ran out of gas turnaround guy and I'm missing disruption. And so I wasn't working for small companies, for founder-led businesses in early stage, simply because they couldn't afford me and my team. And when we would do deals on the large business side, we would charge you know, reasonably um, uh, you know, reasonable fees for the scale of what we were doing and the cost of the teams and such, but far out of reach of any founder. So, but our, our model was we'll take a little bit of equity in the deals we do on the big company side, and then we'll charge you fees for the rest. But it was always an equity model. So when we decided um, five or six years ago to uh, work for earlier stage companies and apply what we learned on the big company side, we just flipped the model. And we said, we'll do it for mostly equity and, uh, and a little bit of cash. And then as we learned, we started to co-invest, like put our own cash in alongside our services investment. And, um, and eventually uh, last year launched uh, Catapult Capital. Uh, partners. And now we have a small portfolio of assets that we invest to, into, and um, it's cash and cash in kind. And, uh, and it's exciting. And we're working on exciting brands like Flow and Simply Protein, you know, brands that you may know. Um, and it's just been fantastic learning. I bet. No, that's, that's incredible. So taking the, the kind of the change and going into this early stage and really trying to invigorate, obviously, and assuming that it's working with founders again is in the innovation side is really getting uh, you moving forward again in a different direction within the business. How do you find the startups are taking this really early stage, super experienced branding coming into them and helping them pivot? Is it, uh, are they taking this as, wait, let's do this in stages or here's my brand, make it work. And you're kind of the one that has to look at this and say, yes, there's something here. 
the founder, yes, they, they have a good mix. I think we should jump into this brand. Or are you looking for those companies and saying, hey, you've got some really good, strong MRR. You've got a strong team. We can really help you take this to the next level. So let's help you scale. Yeah. Where do you kind of see and fit in with these early companies? Well, maybe it's worth just saying the, the reason that we um, created Catapults uh, in a way was to reinvent the venture capital world. Uh, you know, we were, we're reinventionists as a, as a team and we can't help ourselves, but we looked at VC and we said, look, it's, it, you know, such an important industry. Um, and the world didn't need another VC, you know, the world's awash in, in VC and PE money, um, these days. So we thought, let's, let's find a way to add value that's unique. And so it really was levering what we learned at Jackman, as you're, you're suggesting. And and finding partners that had a couple of characteristics that would would work for us and that that we would demonstrate we could work for them. Um, the first was, um, you know, all the obvious stuff, um, you know, like any VC, we're looking at, you know, what is the uh, what is the um, the risk reward profile? What what's the upside here? Um, conventional diligence in the sense of um, you know, where is uh, opportunity and where is risk and how would that be mitigated? Um, so all of that is part of what we do. Second part is um, the concept itself. You know, that expression, I think, came out of the tech industry, product market fit. Um, and what are the tailwinds uh, that, are, that are enabling this business and how well connected to those um, is it at the moment? And then what's the upside? Um, and, and how would the upside come? And then lastly, um, the founder uh, or the founding team. Um, and a couple of notes on assessing founders. Obviously, uh, particularly when they're first-time entrepreneurs, you know, where they came from, how they think, uh, what their skills are, all of that foundational stuff. But what are they like as as people and and how would they welcome or or not um, the kinds of inputs that we could provide like we don't want to go and work with anyone who really doesn't want us you know to change anything or to be there and and you know get into the weeds and mess things up and we're not deeply in the weeds what we do is get very very clear on which customers are you focused on and why what do those customers really care about who are you to them? What's the value prop in the customer experience that are going to create not only growth, but um, relevance and deep engagement? And what's the overall plan for growth and how do we uh, enable that to come? And because we're built the way we're built on the Jackman consultancy side, we can bring in experts across all of that in a super efficient, um, you know, I would say, uh, efficient and light engagement kind of way. Whereas with big companies, we end up camping out forever and, you know, doing a lot of that lifting ourselves. In founder-led companies, our whole view is what is the plan that everyone's excited about that we're confident in as investors and that founders say, right on, I know exactly what to do now and next. That's really the work um, in the partnerships. And, and obviously, the conditions for success would be able to tick all those boxes. 
across that spectrum of evaluation. I love it. And you're coming in with that creative flair as well. So you're going to be able to drive them, not just through numbers and metrics, but also from what the customer is really looking for. So you really are diving into persona and value and making sure that there is a way to take your investment because you are investing as well into that next stage and helping that company overcome or at least dominate the market that they may not have been dominating in. Yeah. And, and most times look early stage businesses, are a work in progress by definition, right? And and I love you, you've used the word pivot a couple of times. You know, we've seen so much of that in pandemic times, but really that is the nature of figuring out the model. You know, we like to invest when there's demonstrated sales, when there is at least some degree of proof of concept. Um, we're looking for, um, you know, at least uh, a decent or modest trajectory that we can get behind. And then we, we you know, work together with founders and their teams to figure out the component parts to growth. And what are you doing today? What's been working? Um, and, and now let's put it back together in a super efficient way so that you can you know, get this business going. And because we're used to, on the services side, being partners in any kind of change and pivot, we're very, very flexible. We're very adaptive to how do we keep moving, take the learning and, and calibrating as we go. But we're also you know, invested in these companies and therefore we, we look at it through the lens of an investor uh, as opposed to only a partner. Uh, and that's, I think that's the beautiful combination that is Catapult, uh, Capital Partners is, you know, we are there to help and enable and accelerate. And we're also there to make sure that the outcome we're all signed up for actually happens and ideally happens sooner than later. Like I, I'm, I'm an action junkie, you might recall. I like to get clear on where I, I want to get to as a team. And then I like to go like my hair is on fire, you know, in a very, very uh, judicious and um, thoughtful way. But, you know, make it happen is, is what I'm obsessed with. Uh, once you're clear on where you want to go. Love it. Make it happen. That's a, a great line. And I totally agree with that. That's what everybody needs to hear every day. Make it happen. Do it. Yep. Get in there because that's the way the business is going to move forward. I love it. Well, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't have one quick line, just about one, your podcast. It's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> I've probably listened to 90% of them. Uh, there's a couple left that I've got to listen to, but overall, all of your guests have been awesome. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, your book, fantastic. I love the idea of taking all the insights that you've taken over the years and pushing that into a, th a five-step process on how to reinvent. And you can use this process to reinvent yourself, your business, your life, your family, whatever you need to do at the time. Uh, maybe just quickly touch base on just that concept of all the learnings that you've taken in running this reinvention business and just share a couple of points because I think from a founder standpoint, it gives them a perspective of what to think about when they're building their company because these things help you build as well at the same time. Yeah, happy to. Um, so the story of the book was um, I had been working on uh, some of the ones mentioned, various company transformations and and not all were going well. And, uh, and I was doing my best to take notes on what is happening when things are going well. And what I mean by that is 
that leaders are rallying around, you know, strategic intentions, you know, people are getting on the bus and, and excited about moving it forward versus fighting change. Um, all of that ended up being a mindset. And I started with about eight, what I thought might be key points. And I noticed that, uh, when things were not going well, they were the opposite of those points. You know, people weren't aligned. They weren't clear on what the outcome they were going for. Um, they weren't widening the aperture and, and how to think about their business. They were staying very narrow. So the eight went to five and they went from a short paragraph on each to, you know, two or three words uh, for each. And with the help of my team, we just sort of galvanized those and said, let's, let's start to teach ourselves uh, what we call the reinventionist mindset so that we act in this way with uh, leadership teams and ultimately entire organizations to up the odds of transformative success. And, um, and, and it was interesting. We started to actually share those with our new engagement partners or clients. We said, we just want you to know as you meet us and we start to work with you, we actually guide ourselves on the basis of five principles of a mindset. And bear with us, might sound a little abstract, but these are very material um, and very, very helpful. And we'd love it if you, you know, sort of understood those and maybe started to practice those too. So we sort of baked it right into our process. And then eventually, um, you know, one of my clients at the time uh, said, you know, you should write a book and uh, you should tell not only the stories um, of the transformations that worked and went well, and illustrate these mindsets and these principles in action, you should tell a few of the ones that didn't work well. And so what I, what I set out to do, um, certainly, you know, prior to that, I was not an author, uh, but I uh, worked with a great publishing uh, partner called Page Two, and uh, I wrote a book. In fact, I'm in Los Angeles, California, talking to you now, and it was three years ago that I was madly trying to finish the book for the publishing deadline here in LA. And, uh, and so it brings back so many memories, but essentially it's, you know, it's five principles. They're, they're things just to give you an idea, Jeffrey, seek insight everywhere. That's the first principle. And it just means open the aperture, pay attention to what's going on. And it's even things that are so fundamental, like pay attention. If you're busy building a business for certain customers, pay attention to what younger customers, you know, the younger version of the cohort you're focused on are caring about because they're the next act of your business, right? It's just, these are, these are basic principles. Um, obsess the outcome. That's another one. It, it, what that means is, you know, not only, you know, make it happen as we were talking about a second ago, get super clear on the outcome you want. No amount of, no amount of strategy and action is gonna take you to a place you haven't defined. Define the place, get super crystal clear. It'll evolve over time, but at least you know where you're going. And then you can go after it, you know, relentlessly to achieve it. And, and I won't go through all the others, but uh, but that's the book. It's called The Reinventionist Mindset, um, Learning to Love Change and the Human How of Doing It Brilliantly. It's available at uh, wherever you shop for books, Amazon and Indigo and Barnes and Noble and, and such. Um, and the podcast really came out of the book uh, because I, you know, when I wrote the book, I, strangely, I launched it January uh, 2020, so two months before the pandemic, when the whole world went into hyper change mode. And um, a lot of people reached out and said, look, just reading the book or listening to the audio version and um, would love to just 
chat more and maybe share my story of change. And so I think at that moment, everyone was starting a podcast. So I thought, oh, what the hell, I'll, I'll do one. I've had the opportunity to talk with so many brilliant people. Like um, recently, a guy named Alex Bogusky, you might not know that name, but Alex was, you know, the driving force be, behind Crispin Porter Bogusky, the most awarded agency of all time. Um, and uh, Eve Bahar, one of the great industrial designers of our generation. Um, you know, Rebecca Minkoff, the fashion designer, uh, just on and on and on. Uh, you know, I, I just think about Fabian Cousteau. I, I got an incredible opportunity to talk about a guy who is a self-described aquanaut. Uh, and I've learned so much. And it's all I do is just, as you do, ask some questions, get them to tell our stories. And we always tie it back to transformation of some kind or another. Personal, professional, you know, corporate, uh, it's, it's, um, but thank you for calling that out. That's called the, the, re the reinventionist. And you can find that on Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. Well, it's absolutely brilliant. And I actually wrote down four names because I wanted to reference how I enjoyed the podcast with those four. And you actually mentioned three of them. And the fourth <laughs> one, I had Jesse Banks. Okay. There you go. Jesse was great. Yeah. Reinventing yeah. the the hospitality space in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. I thought those were all awesome. So it's funny. I had Rebecca, Alex, um, obviously the Aquanaut was brilliant. We talked about this before. So yeah, they were, those were uh, certainly my favorites. So I'm glad you notably brought those up because they, uh, they really did have a lot of insight. I was actually going to ask for an introduction to Alex because I'm uh, like, this guy sounds so cool. I want to oh, meet he's, a, he's amazing. It's not very often you're, you're expecting it, you know, in a conversation on change and, and such, and, and we've worked together in the past, and he's a genius. He's just such an incredibly insightful guy. But suddenly we're having a conversation about like psychedelic, you know, substances, and, and it was just like, wow, this is this is great stuff. So, but thank you. Um, I should mention uh, Catapult um, is uh, catapultpartners.vc, and uh, Jackman is jackmanreinvents.com. So if you want to learn more or reach out, um, uh, excited and. Uh, you know, we are looking at deals as we speak with Catapult. Got a really nice, robust pipeline and uh, having so many interesting conversations with founders. So, um, uh, you know, very, very interested in anything that touches the consumer, um, tech as it relates to consumer enterprises and, uh, and more broadly, uh, food, beverage, well-being uh, is um, the sort of spaces that we're currently focused on investing in. So uh, excited. And I hope there was some value for your listeners, Jeffrey. Yeah, that's brilliant. We're going to move quickly now because we're getting close to that time. So we're going to ask okay. one last question and then we're going to rapid fire it. Okay. Um, okay. So if you could just more of a, this is more of a use case type question or um, case study uh, that you could share kind of around a founder that you worked with or a story that you've heard or yourself on just what it takes to be an entrepreneur, just the, the ebbs and flows of what a founder goes through, just kind of looking for someone that really just broke the odds and uh, they really did a successful job. Uh, some, you know, heartfelt story that you, we can all get behind that you can share about one of the experiences that you've had as a founder or that you've worked with. Well, I know time is, is uh, short. So I, I, I want to tell you sort of, side-by-side -side stories quickly. The first is um, Nicholas Richenbach. If you know Nicholas, he's a serial entrepreneur. He did a lot of uh, work in the digital space. Um, you know, one of the first guys to do uh, ringtones and mobile gaming apps. And, 
and such, um, very successful in the tech world, um, ended up uh, founding Flow Water. And, you know, Nicholas is, a, is just a classic entrepreneur. He, he's a visionary. He's very, very crystal clear on what the outcome is he wants to achieve. Um, but you have to give him a lot of credit because the package goods water industry is dominated by global powerhouses with their giant retail partnerships. And there's a lot of trade dollars, as you know very well, that go back and forth there. And so very tough uh, to enter the, the packaged water business. But he came at it with, you know, a human intention, a cultural intention, which was around eliminating plastic. He put his um, natural, his family spring water into uh, Tetra Pak. And um, you can see it right there. And, uh, you know, he, he fought and continues to fight the battles uh, six or seven years in to build an incredible uh, business and to create value for stakeholders. And uh, what I can say is just, you know, being a partner to him for those six years, I'm, I'm on the board um, and now it's publicly traded. Just to watch him and his team overcome all the hurdles that that you know one by one, you know it's not that you, you know you're you're unlikely to be challenged. You know you want to start a business, and particularly if you want to disrupt the status quo, you know strap your seatbelts on. So Nicholas would be the you know the archetype entrepreneur, and it's been such a treat to work with him and see that business grow. It's now the fastest growing um, premium water brand in um, North America. So. Um, but on the other side, uh, one of the recent deals we did was um, Atkins uh, company out of the U.S., uh, you know, weight management uh, business, um, owned a, a small, originally entrepreneur founded brand called Simply Protein. And it was just part of, you know, their assets. And um, Michael Lyons, who ran Canada for the Simply Protein brand uh, for Atkins, um, he was interested in doing a management buyout, a carve out of Simply Protein. So, so me, uh, Nicholas, a um, number of other people that we co-invest with, um, put together the money to carve out that business. And, um, and Michael was a long time, very, very experienced guy in the food and bev business, um, but always been um, a, a corporate leader. And so it's been so amazing to watch Michael, with the help of some people, Nicholas is also on the board with me, of Simply Protein, to get advice from you know longtime entrepreneurs and to learn the difference between being a good leader and a good manager in a corporate environment and doing the same in a founder-led, now founder-led business and being an entrepreneur. And it's just been fascinating to watch Michael grow as a leader and to take on you know, the un uncertainties that come with the, the, the new job of leading, uh, you know, a standalone brand. And, uh, and he's doing a fantastic job. It's growing uh, really, really well, creating value for all the stakeholders. And so there's sort of the, the tale of two cities in a way, two, two different leaders, but both found their way to being good, solid entrepreneurs. I love it. Those are two great stories. I'm a fan of both of those companies and both of those founders. Uh, they've done a phenomenal job. So thank you for sharing that. Those are uh, wonderful. Honestly, super uh, insightful companies and people can learn a lot from them just from even reading and following up with the founders. So much great material there. Uh, we're going to jump in real quickly now into the rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. Okay, bring it up. Rapid fire. One or the other. Here we go. Founder or co-founder? Uh, sorry, you, you, you have to give me context on that one. 
Oh, sorry. The context is you're going to pick one or the other, and you're coming in from the investor standpoint. So who do you rather invest in, a founder or a co-founder? Oh, I see. Uh, I like founder. Unicorn or a four-year 10 exit? Four-year 10 exit every day. Tech or CPG? CPG. NFT or Web3.0? There's a lot of money to be made in tech these days. I, I get it. But yeah, I like CPG. Okay. Um, NFT or Web 3.0? Web 3.0. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second, third time founder? Second or third, ideally, but first time can work too. Okay. First money in or Series A? Uh, Series A. Angel or VC? VC. Board seat or observer? Both. Safe or convertible note? Uh, convertible. Lead or follow? Uh, I would say lead. Yep. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? Uh, working with founders and, and seeing their vision come to life. Number of companies invested per year? Uh, we have six in total today. We're going to do three to four year over year going forward. Love it. Prefer any preferred terms? Um, you know, we like uh, flexibility. So I, I, I would say, um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, we're, we're actually okay. quite flexible on how we structure deals. Okay. Two qualities a startup needs in order to stand out for you. Say that again, please. Two qualities a startup requires in order to stand out. Uh, a, a brand. Uh, inclusive of a sharp, uh, differentiated positioning and uh, relentless tenacity. I like that. Relentless tenacity. That's good. Agreed. All right. <laughs> personal side. Okay. Book, book or movie? Oh, that's a hard one. Both. <laughs> Superman or Batman? Superman. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? <laughs> Five minutes of Bezos. <laughs> Mountain or beach? Mountain or beach? Beach. Bike or run? Run. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Big Mac. Trophy or money? Oh, money. Beer or wine? Wine. Camera or mobile phone? Mobile phone. King or rich? <laughs> uh, rich concert or amusement park concert fortune cookie or birthday cake ooh fortune cookie TED talk or book reading book reading most famous person that pops in your mind now strangely Oliver Stone <laughs> hey, that's good that's alright that's alright uh, favorite sports team uh, it's actually uh, not a team. It's a person. Uh, Leila Fernandez, tennis player. Tennis. Brilliant. First brand that pops in your mind. Flow. I love it. <laughs> Favorite book? A uh, Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And it's by? Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I like it. It's uh yeah, just an incredibly uh, melancholic but insightful book. 
Great. Perfect. All right. What is the meaning of success to you? Success to me is getting to achieve what you set out to and enjoying it while you do. Favorite movie and what character would you play? <laughs> uh, hmm. I would, this is a very obscure movie, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's Tempest. Um, and I would play the part uh, that John Cassavetes played. It's, uh, it's based on Shakespeare's The Tempest. Gina Roll, John Cassavetes. Yeah. I'm going to look this one up. I'm you got to sure watch it. It's, uh, it. I hope it's aged well, but it's, uh, it's a wonderful. Okay, I'll look it up. All right, last question. What is your superpower? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll answer what I think it is, and then I'll, I'll answer what I'm told. I think it's openness, just a willingness to see what's possible. And, and, and what I'm told is um, uh, my ability to get people into motion, to create momentum. So either both um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy with. I like it. And I would say that of, uh, of my learnings and uh, knowings of, of yourself and uh, our time that we've um, interacted, I would say that uh, you're very uh, networkable uh, and you're very open. And uh, I think you also have a very good drive to the end goal. So I think those are all part of your uh, superpowers. So I think they're uh, great characteristics to have for sure. Thanks, Jeffrey. I appreciate it. Well, wonderful chatting with you today and uh, best luck with uh, not only the podcast, but your portfolio and uh, super excited to see where, where you get to um, and safe travels. Happy travels. Likewise. Well, thank you very much, Joe, for, for joining us today. We're not only excited because of all the great content you shared, but I think there's a lot of great things still left that you're going to produce. And one of them is investing back into these early stage companies, which is very exciting. And the way we... The way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to say or share to an investor or to the startup community, I turn it over to you. But thank you again for all your time today. Well, I, I would say, uh, you know, the last thought, and, it, and maybe it's towards investors, uh, but also founders, is that, you know, I, I, last week uh, I was at uh, the Expo West Natural Food Store, uh, Show. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just an incredible forum to see what's new innovation in the extreme. And I couldn't help but think the things that stood out for me were the ones that were doing things, not just differently, um, but extremely differently. There's a sea of sameness already in innovation that's going on um, in consumer goods. You know, everyone's jumping on, you pick the bandwagon, plant-based foods, whatever it happens to be. Uh, beverages is just such a hot space at the moment. But you know, the center of differentiation is being different. And, and, and the more different you can be, uh, the more powerful you become. And I, and I think that's super important to note because, you know, the world's a sea of sameness. We don't need another of anything. What we need is people that break rules and are bold. And I think that's, you know, where to look if you're an investor. And I think it's encouragement for founders to do, you know, incredibly bold, uh, disruptive stuff. Uh, so thanks. I appreciate the last word. <laughs> yeah, I shared. Thank you very much, Joe. Take care, Jeffrey. See you. Thank you. Bye.
Okay, that was brilliant. Uh, getting the opportunity to talk with Joe. Uh, I've got to work with them in the past, 20 plus years ago. And today uh, with their new branding, their new reinvention uh, of brands and businesses, phenomenal, phenomenal what they've been able to do, the learning they've taken, the steps that they've created to help businesses reinvent themselves. Uh, and this carries through from startups all the way up to, to big business. Uh, so there was lots of great things that he shared there. Um, you know, you, you really got to really got to put your head down and work hard and find a goal of what you're going after. And, and how do you professionalize your business? I like that line as well. Uh, the drive, uh, there are just so many nuggets of things that he, he really unpacked there to help us out. Uh, the great stories that he shared about uh, the two brands that they've worked with and, and how they were changing the way people looked at their brands. Uh, and you know what, what it takes and things that uh, help you propel your business forward. So stay focused, stay driven, stay hungry. And uh, Joe, thanks again for uh, for being on the show and sharing all that great insight. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a great day.